Today's scripture is Genesis 11:27 through 12:4. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans, during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Erica, for reading that. Although that was definitely a mouthful of announcements that we we all heard, I'm not going to rehash those. But there's one very important question I realize you might need uh, clarification on because uh, there's prizes involved, there's bags with books and all kinds of things like that. And you might be wondering, do I count as being new or not? And so I'm just going to define that for you right now. If you never received a bag, if you haven't been to our newcomer's lunch or 101 class, you are eligible. You are eligible for all the good stuff. And so uh, hopefully that's, I I think that's a number of you are looking forward to connecting after the service with you. This morning, we begin a new fall sermon series on the life of Abraham. It's called Living by Faith, and, and that's here. If you turn to the front of your bulletin, there's the the picture, there's Abraham right there, that's, that's him, that's, that's his picture, we got that off his Facebook account. All right, had to make one lame joke to begin. No matter what you believe, really no matter what your background, no matter where you come from in this world, I think anyone would have to be somewhat impressed with Abraham. He's got to be. Top 10, top 5, top 3, I don't know, of people who have all time lived in their impact on human history in this world. He and his wife, Sarah, about 4 billion people today, right now, 4 billion people on our planet trace their spiritual lineage back to Abraham. So I don't know, that has to be like top, right? Top three, top ten. Those of Jewish faith, those uh, who are Muslims and Christians. Just that alone, hopefully, no matter where you're coming from this morning, might make you think, okay, there's something to this guy and his story that we can learn from. What is it about Abraham? What is it about his story that is so powerful and so lasting? 
that speaks to so many. Well, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he, he tells, tells us, he makes it very clear, it's his faith. In Romans 4, 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul says, to be a Christian, this is at the heart of being a Christian, it is to be someone who follows in the footsteps of Abraham, follows in the footsteps of our father Abraham. He says he is the father of all who believe. And that image, footsteps, that's a great image. I love that image. He's saying to be a Christian is to walk the same path, to take the same journey as Abraham. And that's the story we'll be looking at this fall. This story, Abraham's, maybe more than any other place in the Bible, shows us what it means, what it looks like. Like in real life, to have faith, to live by faith. That image of footsteps, it just brings to mind for me the image of hiking. I know some of you are avid hikers. You love to be in the outdoors. But when you're out, like way out somewhere on a trail, right, and, and there's like thicket and bushes and branches and that sort of thing, you can lose the trail and wonder which way is it, you <laughs> know, Where do I go? I'm losing my bearings. I don't know if I'm going to be heading in the right path and the right direction. And so what you do in that moment is you look anywhere for a a path that is trodden. And if you can find a footprint in the sand or in the, the mud or the dirt or whatever, you're like, okay, others have gone here before. This is this is the way. That's like Abraham's story for us. This morning. As an introduction to the series, I'd like to begin with what I think it was for me a neglected part of Abraham's story, uh, where he started from. You could call it his origin story, uh, Abraham's origin story here. In verse 12, or in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran, and most of the Bible and the rest of uh, these chapters focus on his story and what happened after he left Haran. But what about before? Why Abraham? Where did he come from? What's his story? To be the father of our faith. Well, we think maybe those 75 years, he must have had a lot of training and preparation and studying. He must have come from a good family. He and his wife must have been the kind of people we would all look at and think, you know, if God's going to do a new thing, something to get his purposes back on track for humanity and the world, a model of faith for all time, to bring blessing to all peoples, then they must have been like the cream of the crop type of people that we'd all look at and go, of course he would choose Abram and Sarai. Look at them. That's what I would look for if I was God trying to do this new thing to restore blessing to the world, as it says in chapter 12. But we see here, (laughs) it's a completely different story than we might expect, than we might write. Before we look at it together, I I want us to consider this question to prepare us. I just want to ask you to consider this. Do you think right now, this season of your life, maybe even today, that you just might be on the verge of renewed faith? Or maybe you're, you're here and you're not a Christian. Do you think that this might be the time, this season, where you might place your faith in Jesus? Do you think that this is a time that it's all set up for you to go deeper and stronger, to have a more robust faith? 
I just, if you could just think about that, if you could just process that, I think there are a lot of possible answers out there for us on this one. You might just say, no, not really. If I'm honest, this season for me is a season kind of a, of little faith or lack of faith. Or you might say, this is a season of doubt for me for various reasons. Or you'd say, this season for me is just kind of like status quo. I'm just glad to survive. Or maybe you say, yes, I do, but I'm not sure what that looks like. If any of these answers are yours, this message is especially for you. And I think no matter what our answer is, it depends largely on our idea of what we think, what we expect when it comes to God beginning and renewing faith, reviving faith. In what kind of situation should we expect God to bring about a new and a deeper work of faith in someone? Or let's think about a church. What should it look like? Are we on the verge of a new and deeper and stronger faith as a community here, as our church? Well, this is the question. Where then? Where? In what kind of place? In what kind of people? Through what kind of plans does faith begin and get strengthened and go deeper and revive? I'd like to share with you how this origin story of Abraham answers that question. So first, in order for us to fully understand Abraham's story, especially his origin, where did his faith come from, we have to place it into the context of the book of Revelation, okay? Abraham is appearing on the scene here in Genesis 11 at the end. I have to say, if you know the story of Abraham, here he's called Abram, and his name later is changed to Abraham in chapter 17. It just is too hard for me in my mind to like track that. So I'm just going to say Abram and Abraham, and it's just going to be interchangeable. I'll do my best to stick to Abram for now. <laughs> but I know I've said Abraham like 50 times already. Genesis. The book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, how does it begin? In the beginning, God, right? That's what it says in Genesis 1.1. And we are told there the story of the origin of all things in chapters 1 and 2. And in my opinion... This story of the origins of life, of us, of everything, can you even, it's not possible to invent a better origin story. A personal, eternal God of goodness and joy and abundance created the universe and all things out of the overflow. Why did he create it? Out of the overflow of his love and joy and goodness. He said, I have to create, I have to share who I am with others so that the beauty and the wonder and the mystery of all things is created. This God of power, beauty, and order, he speaks and it all exists. And every time he makes something, he steps back and he says, it's good. It's good. And he makes humanity in his image, at the center, to know him and from knowing, worshiping and serving him to reflect his joyful abundance by filling the earth with relationships, with culture, with work, so that all these things might glorify him. I can't imagine a better beginning. But in chapters 3 through 11 in Genesis, we're told, It went off track badly. Humanity chooses to disobey, break the order of creation, and Adam and Eve seek to be God and distrust God, and that's sin. And when the relationship is broken, all the rest is broken. Disorder ensues, 
blaming and murder and violence. We studied this last fall. That's what these chapters are about. And God decides to uncreate through a flood, to cleanse and to recreate through Noah as like a second Adam. Creation is cleansed, but not the human heart we see in chapters 10 and 11. And people try to unite together at the Tower of Babel, reach heaven and God on their own terms, by their own words, make their name great, they say, instead of letting heaven come to them on God's terms. And that takes us up to chapter 11. That's where we're picking up the story. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 11, and you'll just see what is there, starting in verse 10. Everybody's favorite part of the Bible, a genealogy with a bunch of names. That just goes on and on until we get to Genesis 27. People are born and people die. And we haven't heard anything about faith. We haven't heard anything about God for hundreds of years since Noah. I share that summary to say at this point, okay, as we're reading Genesis 11:27, this is where things are. Things are not good. It doesn't look good. God's purposes for humanity are not happening. And so this looks like a very low point. Humanity is at a very depressing place. Life is just going on. It doesn't seem like God is really there. What is he doing? And so we read 1127. This passage is a turning point. God is getting ready to do something new, something to change the course of human history, to move his plan of redemption Forward, and there it is in 1127 where it says, these are the family records of Terah. In Genesis, when it says these are the family records, that's like a chapter heading, that's like a news section. And this new chapter begins in a place we'd never expect. We wouldn't see it. The place that God is working a turning point is a place of no or maybe just a little faith. Not much. Maybe it's not even there. Why do I say that? Well, look at where Abraham has lived and where he's come from. Scholars would say Ur, that's where he came from, and Haran, where he moved to. These were known to be widely the centers of worship for the moon god. And some of the names of Abraham's family come from names related to moon god worship. The Bible speaks to Abraham's background in Joshua chapter 24. Let's go back, Jaden, before we look at that. In in Joshua 24, Joshua says to all the people, he's reminding them of their history. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, or Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River and led him throughout the land of Canaan. This is the context. Abraham and his family, they worshipped other gods. Maybe they also had the God of Genesis, the Lord God who created all things. Maybe he was one of their gods. We don't know. So what can we learn from this? Now, Jaden, you can put that up. I came across this phenomenal article on the major theme of Genesis 1 through 11, and I'd like to just share this with you. This is what we can learn. 
No matter how drastic the sin or the situation, destroying what God has made good. And bringing the world to the brink of uncreation, God's grace never fails to deliver man from the consequences of his sin. God's commitment to his world stands firm. It's powerful, but I wonder what it might feel like if we put our own self into the places that I underline in the quote. No matter how drastic the sin or the situation, destroying what God has made good, and bringing me and my life, my situation, to the brink of uncreation, God's grace never fails to deliver me from the consequence of my sin. God's commitment to me stands firm. Friends, if that is true, then no matter what place you are in, or you will ever be in a season or a situation where we say, where is God? This is not a place of faith. I'm not at a place of faith. This can be a place where faith begins. How would you describe the spiritual atmosphere of your own heart? Is it little faith, struggling faith, doubting faith, no faith? How would you describe the spiritual atmosphere of our culture? Whenever I go outside of California and talk to Christians, I'm from California. And they say, oh, it must be so bad over there. (laughs) And you know how it is, you know, the reputation for all these different reasons that we have. And I say, it's fine, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I don't think it's exactly what you think. And even if it is, and this is true, then this is a place where God can bring new faith, deep in faith, renewed faith in us and through us. That's what this is saying. God brought about a new beginning, a turning point in faith, in a place of no faith. Secondly, that's the place where Abraham comes from. Now let's look at the people who eventually became the father and the mother of our faith. Let's look at the people, Abram and Sarai. What do we know about them? Well, look at verse 30. We're told just something about their origin, something painful and difficult about the couple. And the way this is written, it's almost... Like, why did you have to do it that way? Moses, who's likely the author of this, because he's repeating something so painful. It seems cruel. It says, Sarah was unable to, Sarai was unable to conceive. We understand what that means and how difficult that can be, and yet it repeats that in a different way. She did not have a child. Why emphasize that? Something so painful for Sarai and hard for Abram and Sarai. In the whole family, the verse is meant to hit us and make us think, if God is going to start a new family like he says he's going to do in Genesis 12, a nation, a great nation to bless all nations, this, this couple is not the prime candidate to do that with. They are not who we would pick to start a great nation. They don't seem like the right people. If we were God, we wouldn't pick them. And God is highlighting this in verse 30. And this is just the first time. Anytime the Bible mentions barrenness, Sarai, Rebecca, Rachel from Genesis, Hannah, Samson's wife, I'm sorry, Samson's mother, it points to a very personal and painful reality for a woman and a man wanting to be mother and father. But it also points us to something more, something that is very central to the Bible's teaching about faith and how it works and how it begins and how it deepens. 
And I don't think it could be said any better than it's said succinctly by George Mueller, who was a missionary a couple centuries ago. Let's go to that quote, Jaden. Two slides forward. Okay, one forward. Where is it? There it is. <laughs> Faith begins where our power ends. Now back, Jaden, to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 51 says it like this. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who gave birth to you. When I called him, he was only one. I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and melodious song. Do you look at your life, your spiritual condition as a waste place or a part of your life as a wilderness, a desert? God is saying here, have you looked at Abraham? Have you looked to Sarah, your father and mother? Sarah is the one who gave birth to you. How did that happen? Not by their resources, but mine. So what are you trusting in? My Christian friends, if faith, we've heard about faith a lot. If that's how we're supposed to grow, we need to have faith. It's how we're to journey. The Bible says faith is what connects us to Jesus and opens us to his work and his grace in our lives and becoming like him. If that's true, isn't it also true that anything that grows our faith, anything that deepens our faith, anything that strengthens our faith is, how would you fill in the blank? Good. <laughs> right. It is good. It is really good. It is what we need. But if what George Mueller says, if what Isaiah the prophet says here, in order for our faith to be growing, our power has to end. Our resources have to be let go of, and we have to look away from ourselves and to God. This is something very hard for people who have resources. Many of you have a lot of resources, who feel like you've earned your resources, who, if we were honest, we might say, oh yeah, I'm not the best, I'm not the greatest, but I'm pretty good, I'm pretty darn good. <laughs> look what I've accomplished, look what I've achieved. But this is saying anything that turns us from looking to ourselves and our resources and our abilities and our capacities and our own wisdom and empties us of this makes new room for faith. That's a good thing. Third, this is a family story. If you really spend time with it, and I did this week, uh, I understood what my, my professor uh, Bruce Walkie said about this family story. He said it was a dark introduction, a dark story. What does he mean? Well, a family of, this is a family of mixed or maybe confused religious conviction. And look at the story of, of Terah. It's a dad who faltered. He said, we're going to Canaan, everybody. And then it says, they never got there. <laughs> and we don't know why. That, that's quite a journey to say we're moving from Ur, we're going to Canaan, and he stopped in Haran, so the, the, the plan failed, it faltered. And he lost a son, which is very tragic. So two, 
That, that father, uh, also named Haran, his two sons didn't have a dad. Another of his sons, Abram, they, they were not able to have children. And this whole thing ends, like a lot of other genealogies do, Terah dies in Haran. He never achieved his dream, so to speak. You know, he had a broken family and an uncertain future. So what seemed probably to Abram like a failed plan, a failure for his dad and his family to not do what they set out to do, it ended up being a part of God's plan. It ended up being a part of God's preparation for Abraham. God loves to begin a new work of faith and grow stronger faith in plans that didn't work out. This is not the first time God does this. If you know about Moses, he ran away to the desert. That was not his plan A. If you know about David, he ran away to the desert too, even after God said, you're going to be king. And that was not his plan A, to be a fugitive on the run. If you know about the apostle Paul, he spent multiple years in prison when he wanted to be out planting churches and that kind of thing. That was not his plan A. If you know anything about the Apostle Peter, learned through multiple times and confrontations about his own failure as the leader of the church. That was not his plan, eh? For his leadership. In all these situations, God was bringing all of these people to a place of renewed faith and preparation for things he wanted to do in and through them. What might have looked like had to look like failed plan, stalled plan. What looks like failed, installed, and faltered plans in our own lives might just be God's preparation for his own plan and the forging of faith in us. They didn't know it at the time. They couldn't have understood it at the time, but the plans that didn't work out were a part of the plan to draw Abram and Sarai to God and for him to prepare to use them. So a place of no faith, little faith maybe, people of no resources, plans that didn't work out, this is where God began a new work of faith. There's one more thing. There's one more part of the story because it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't be a turning point without it in Verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, go. Despite it all, Abram, you don't really know who I am. Your faith is not strong in me. What I'm about to tell you, you think is impossible. You think all the plans have failed. Go in in spite of it all. And so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Verse 4, so Abram went. We'll study this passage more next Sunday, but this altered the course of human history, redemptive history forever. Everything changed right here according to the Bible. Everything was different because one person went. That's what this is saying. This is saying all it takes is one person who is willing to pioneer, to blaze a trail out of a place of little faith, letting go of trusting in their resources, and a story where it seems like all plans have failed. And friends, this here is the key to the story and to the very heart of the Christian faith, the gospel. 
the key to this passage and this whole series that can bring new life and depth to our faith and relationship with God and the way God can use us individually and as a church is this. Don't look to Abraham. Don't be like him. That's not the message. Because Abraham didn't look to Abraham. He had no faith. (laughs) He had no resources. He didn't have any good plans. Sarai didn't look to Sarai and say, look at us. It's the exact opposite. If he had looked at himself, if Sarai had looked to herself, they would have never went and pioneered. They didn't have faith. They didn't have resources. Their plans failed. How did they go? And this is the first lesson of faith. Faith begins, faith revives and deepens by looking away from, outside of ourselves. When I was a college student, I I started learning about the story of Abram and Abraham. And I was home for the summer. I'm like, I want to study Abraham. And I was, a lot of the Bible was just becoming so new and coming to life for me. And I said, man, Abraham, I'm going to study Abraham. And I remember taking a lot of notes and writing it down. Abram, a man of faith and a man of worship. And I was like, I need to be like him. And I remember that summer wasn't a very fun summer. I felt anxious and burdened all summer for a lot of reasons. But later I realized, I think a part of the reason was I was looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> Abram wasn't looking at Abraham. Sarah wasn't looking at Sarah. If they had been, they would have never went. We don't need someone telling us, have faith, look within. We need someone who says, I know it looks impossible. I've been there. Go. You can trust him. God can be trusted. God is worthy of your faith. Hebrews tells us this is Abram the pioneer. But Hebrews, later in the New Testament, also tells us that there was a greater pioneer. And that Abram, the pioneer, points us to this greater pioneer who is Jesus Christ, the final pioneer. The footsteps of Abraham lead us ultimately to Christ. When when the father told the son... Go. This is the gospel. Go to a place where there's no faith. Letting go of all your resources, your divine resources. Carry out a plan that will look like a total failure by dying on a cross. And Jesus went. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy was taking us on the journey of faith, of pioneering a way for us, so we would know he can be trusted. When, uh, when our kids were young, we, we took a camping trip to Yosemite. And if you've been there, you know about this hike, you know about this, this trail, Vernal Falls and the Mist Trail. You guys know about that? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an easy hike, right? 
And the mist trail is like you're walking up a very wet, slippery set of stairs. And right down to your left, if you're going up, is your death. <laughs> and, and it's very scary, and you have to be very careful, and you're walking like right next to each other, and that's Vernal Falls. And we took our three-year-old, uh, one of our sons, on that trail. And can you imagine if you sent a three-year-old on the hike by themselves to Vernal Falls and the Mist Trail? No one would ever do that. You would probably be put behind bars if you did. But at the time, this, our, our son, who was three, maybe he was just two and a half, he was very small, very long hike, very hard. He was the most joyful one walking along the entire time. Why? Well, mostly his grandpa was there holding his hand. His grandpa, who'd hiked this hike many, many times before, who said, I'm going to stand over here. You're going to stand over here on the steps. And I'm not going to let you go. And I'm going to make sure that you start and you finish and we get to the end. My friends, that's what Hebrews is saying about Jesus Christ. He's saying, I've come to pioneer a way for you. Don't look to yourself. You look to me. You follow me. Don't look at the place where you're at, where you're at, and go, "I can't see it. How can God do it?" We look to Jesus. Hebrews says, "Don't look at ourselves and our resources. I can't do it. I don't have the resources. How can it happen? I don't have the strength." We look to Jesus. Don't look at our plans and how they've worked out or not, and how many times we failed and tried and say, "Been there, done that." Hebrews says, "Look to Jesus. He's the pioneer. He's blazed the way before you. You can trust in Him." Let's go to the final slide. And so we come back. Where? In what kind of place? In what kind of people? Through what kind of plans does faith begin? Get strengthened. Go deeper. And revive. Abraham the pioneer points us to Jesus the pioneer. And Jesus says, look to me. (laughs) Look to me. I'll carry you through. Let's pray. Let's look to him right now. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word. It says things that we would never say ourselves or dream up ourselves about the kind of places and the kind of situations where you are at work and you do incredible things to renew and create deep and strength and faith. And so I pray for each person here and I pray for us as a church as we kick off this fall of ministry together, as we as individuals face the things that are happening in our lives, that you would use your word and that you would use this table to help us get our eyes on the right thing, your son Jesus. We thank you that the way has been paved The path has been cleared and that he has perfected and completed the journey on our behalf. Help us trust, even when we can't see it, that you are at work. And help us as we come to the table to leave the table with a strengthened and deeper faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
I'm so glad we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. 